the truth is I had no money. I was living off of Jack in a box tacos at two for a dollar. <laughs> Welcome to the Reigning Freedom Money Podcast. You are in the right place if you want to hear how to live a better life by taking steps now to achieve your financial freedom. To find out more, go to reigningfreedommoney.com. Here are your hosts, David and Patty Royster. Just my nephew, and I'm, I'm so proud of him. He's, he's accomplished so much in his life, and it always, hasn't always been easy. So that's why we're going to hear the, the journey in Joe's life and, and all the things in store for him right now. And I think that we can always learn a ton by hearing about other people's lives and the things they've done and the things they've learned. I think we can learn from everybody. So I'm really excited to hear the story. Well, thank you. Awesome. So um, give us a little bit of history of your uh, teenage years. <laughs> and what were some of the factors that caused you to like hook up with, you know, get hooked on drugs and other behaviors that weren't so good? Well, to tell you the truth, I grew up with a great family. You know, I was going to church when I was younger and uh, I played basketball for the church and I was in Boy Scouts and for some reason, I was, uh, I looked up to the wrong people and I started getting into, let's say, smoking weed and, and, and I thought it was cool to be rebellious and to run around and sneak at the house and pop tires on cars or whatever it was. And, you know, there is nothing Good that come from that, and it, and I it, it just totally graduate like uh, slowly graduated a little bit at a time to where there was almost no limit to the dumber things I would do when I was younger. Yeah, so it just kind of started smoking weed, and then maybe more drugs, and then more bad behaviors. It kind of escalated. Yeah, I started snorting crank and. Then we were sneaking alcohol to my buddy's mom's house, uh, where she hid it at, you know, in her kitchen and stuff. And then we would take her truck. She had a brand new Silverado. We'd take it on joy rides. And then I started trying to meet up with girls at Roller King. And, you know, all the little things that, that people think is the, the cool thing when you're uh, trying to impress others instead of doing what you're supposed to do. You know, it's crazy when you're in those teenage uh, or early 20 years, you know, in that age bracket, you become where you're so invincible and you just don't have that feeling of what the consequences of what will take place. I don't think you don't, you don't see that at that age. I, unfortunately, a lot of times. You don't actually. Yeah. I'm sorry. Oh, no, no. I was just going to say, how old were you when all this started and I was probably around 14 years old. I live on Gulfstream Drive in, in North Modesto. Uh-huh. And uh, it, one thing led to another, you know. We we actually moved out of that house. I started smoking weed when I lived there, and we moved out. And then I was like, I started hanging out over there some more. My buddy's like, oh, some new people moved in your house, and they have guns and stuff. So we robbed the house and stole their guns, and I got arrested for it. 
And it never dawned on me how hard it was for my mother also because she would show up crying at my court dates. Mm. And later on, not, not far after that, we lived at a apartment complex in Riverbank. And I stole someone's car, you know, and I was on house arrest and we, uh, we had to set up a meeting in the with the manager in the apartment complex and the guy was training to be a police officer and he agreed to drop the charges if we had a boxing match and i won but if he won in the boxing match then he would press charges and we had a probably half the people in the apartment complex as witnesses <laughs> yeah so you was- didn't win Won. I won. Oh, you won. But that's why yeah. you to jail. Oh, wow. That's crazy. <laughs> and that was actually in California, right? Riverbank? Yeah. That... Yes. Okay. And so you started there, then you moved to uh, Oklahoma, I guess, right? Or Texas. Yeah. So, you know, I started smoking weed and I actually started snorting coke a lot more. And when I moved to Oklahoma, I started trying to work and I was used to the faster money. And I was still looking up to the wrong people like my brother-in-law. And I was a very gullible person. And I never in the world thought everything would catch up to me. Yeah. So what happened in Oklahoma? So. Yeah. What would you do to get arrested? (laughs) So I woke up one morning and uh, I, I had a gun and a ski mask. And I went to my brother in laws house and I was talking to him and. We ended up uh, deciding that we wanted to pull a robbery because we wanted some money to, you know, smoke some more weed, do some coke. And and so we went out looking around and we drove by this place as an owner of a car dealership. And I held him up with a gun and a ski mask for his safe cash. Hmm. And How much did you get? It was a box with money in it and we were driving away. And when we turned down the street towards my sister's house, I was trying to go over there with him. And we started pumping everything out of the car and chambered the round out of my gun. I uh, wiped it off, started throwing everything out the window. And when I pulled the clip out, I threw it in my pocket, thinking I was gonna run out of the car. and. We turned the corner and the police pulled us over in front of my sister's house. Mm. Oh, crazy. It didn't take too long. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> so oh, wow. uh, tell us about the court and, and what happened. What was the final outcome of... Uh... Wait, he didn't tell us how much you got. Uh, I don't know exactly. I threw it all out the window oh, thinking that if I got pulled over, they wouldn't catch me oh. with any of it. And I could say, yeah, I didn't bid it. I didn't do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, so in court. I'm sorry, I interrupted. Oh, it's okay. So when when I first started uh going to court, so they arrested me and my be- my dad bailed me out and and I uh I ended up skipping bail. So I came back out here and I had warrants for him for forgery and other stuff out here. So I did a couple months and then I got extradited out there. 
And the first thing they wanted to do was offer me 15 years when I went to my preliminary hearing. Wow. And they were trying to convince me to testify on my brother-in-law. And I would not do it. It was my nephew's and niece's dad. Mm. And so I talked to my brother-in-law and told him that I was going to try to keep him out because... I knew my my sister needed her its dad with her, mm-hmm. and so I wrote the judge to go for a plea bargain, and they wouldn't give me one. They would they said that we would give you a deal if you were willing to testify on Derek, the other guy that was with me, and so I wrote and asked for a plea bargain again. They said okay. We'll bring it up for a plea bargain. So they brought me before the judge, Judge Harris, in Lawton, Oklahoma, and the judge offered me 15 years again. So I said, I'm not going to take the 15 years. I, I can't do 15 years. I think I was 22 years old at the time. Wow. And uh, he says, uh, so you lied to me. You wrote me and said you'll go for a plea bargain. And I stood up and I told the judge, I said, Your Honor, I didn't lie to you. I said, that's not a plea bargain. It's 15 years, the same sentence you guys offered me already, and I'm not going to take it. So there was a discrepancy between the judge and I, so they gave me a new judge. And I didn't believe in a whole lot at the time, but I started praying more and more, and, and I didn't know what to do. My brother-in-law's lawyer came to me, and, and uh, they told me that, I had a new judge, uh, Judge McCall, which was the best judge for a blind plea. And she, I guess she really did appreciate that I was trying to help my family because she, she gave me advice. And so I wrote Judge McCall and I asked him to go for a blind plea, but she gave me 12 years. And he tried to get me to mention the other guy's name again. And I wouldn't do it. But he said I had to say something in court in order to accept the blind plea. So I told him what happened. I was the one with the gun in the ski mask in the guy's face at the car dealership. And uh, I said, Your Honor, I said, that's, I basically told him that's all I could tell him. I said, it was my fault. And so he accepted my 12-year plea bargain. And when I went to, so I ended up going to a low maximum security prison right away. And I found out, I knew I was doing 85% for some reason. I don't remember how, but I did not know that I would have to do so much of a 12 year sentence, even if I did good. Mm. Oh, wow. It wasn't really explained to you. No. And a blind plea means that uh, you don't have they just tell you what it is and you have to accept it. Is that what? Yes. Okay. Oh, wow. I didn't know the amount of years they would offer to me. Uh, That's why it was called a blind plea, but it was less than the 15. They kept trying to offer me. And And so at this time you were in prison and the clock was starting as the trial was going on. Right. I'm guessing in jail or something. Yeah. I was in jail when we kept going to court. And once I accepted the, the, the blind plea, 
So I also wrote a letter for my co-defendants to judge uh, accepting responsibility for all of it. And my mom, I gave it to my mom or I think I sent it to her and my mom picked it to court, my sister, my brother-in-law for him. And did Derek go to jail as well? Yes, Derek ended up uh, getting two years less than I did. He he settled for a plea bargain. Okay. Which they sent him to uh, a low security prison uh, because of the plea bargain and the deal for a drug, drug program they gave him. Okay. Huh. Wow. <laughs> so tell us about jail, a uh, prison now. How was that? Were you uh, in there? Were you in jail? No, after the trial, you went to prison. Yes. Most people don't know the difference. Unfortunately, I learned that from my son. <laughs> yeah, so we have experience. <laughs> Between jail and prison. <laughs> totally different, right? Yeah, way different. <laughs> So let's just turn this more positive now. Now that you're in prison, how did uh, you start turning around mindset-wise? And what did you do? I mean, I'm sure it was hard at first, but then how did, because you're a different person now. Hugely different. <laughs> I am blessed. So I was upset for a long time. Uh, in 2003, I they sent I was convicted and they sent me to OSR, which was uh, Oklahoma State Reformatory. It was considered a low maximum security prison at the time. And I was, I was mad, I was mad at everything. I, I couldn't accept responsibility for everything that I've done in my life. And for years, I, I, I honestly knew that I couldn't change because of where I was at. I was afraid. They nicknamed me Savage, and I started uh, fighting. I caught a medicine and batteries, uh, down for tattooing, and and one day I I had a, a friend, Dennis Chastain, who I begged to teach me how to weld because I knew eventually I was going to get out. And he and they got me into maintenance. Uh, my buddy Dizzy, William Burrell, awesome dude. And then uh, eventually they got me out to the maintenance shop when I got to a lower security prison, just uh, done. And so I would bug them constantly to teach me how to weld and make them give me weld tests and start reading certain types of drawings. And, and I started reading books on how to uh, build real estate and so forth because I knew that when I went to prison I didn't know how to do anything I, I had no occupational skills uh, I knew I was capable of learning but I never thought for years that I would be the, the better person I need to be and once I started learning how to weld I, I, I actually had some self-worth I, I felt like I can do something you know, and that's awesome. Yeah. And, and so I started welding and I worked at a, the shop that just done. And I, I actually started going to college. Then uh, I got my GED when I was at OSR before I went to the lower security prison and I filed and I got the, the grant for it. Like they gave a lot of inmates uh, when you're at middle securities out there. And so I actually spent two years in college at the same time that I was welding uh, full time for the prison. 
and uh, we had classrooms in there, and it it was we had teachers coming to the to the prison, and it would give us the homework. It was a great college, actually, and I really wanted to start going to church. I really wanted to, but I was afraid to completely change at the time because I felt like I had to uh, hold up to that name Savage that people gave me. And I felt like if I would have became too much of a better person at the time, then I would have been vulnerable. Oh, wow. I was in so many fights and uh, conflicts that I felt like I would have been preyed on if I would have changed like like I wanted to. You were just doing what you had to do to survive. (laughs) Yes. Wow. At the same time, you're learning welding and going to school. Yeah, so I got certificates. Uh, I got my OSHA cards. I, uh, I, I don't know. I took a bunch of programs, Christians Against Substance Abuse. Uh, and, I, and I started studying my college. I aced everything. I got B's on my English comps one and two. I aced uh, my financial manager accounting. Uh, I aced uh, my biology lab. And then I realized I can actually do it. <laughs> yeah. Like, you, you never know what you can't do until you try, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> That's true. That is so true. Were they paying you to do, for the welding work you were doing? Uh, no, not for a long time. So you were so, for free for how many years? Prison pay is low, yeah, too. Prison pay is low. I'm just curious. Sorry, I'm asking the questions I think other people might want to know. Yeah, so when, when I was first out there, uh, I was on a, once I started doing good, and I was on level four, I believe they started giving me $16 a month. And wow. yeah, and, and it became a hardship out there because they actually, it, it's called game pay. And they started dropping it every year or so until it got down to, I believe, $11 a month. But food inflated cost of hygiene and 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 so I actually started tattooing a lot more and making money off of that also while I was welding in prison because obviously I wanted to to eat better and I worked out a lot and tried to get in better shape and that way to be honest with you when you do fight or whatnot uh it it actually took care of me and I wanted people to fear me more and I wanted them to like me for a long time. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. So it sounds like you really had a great attitude and you decided, okay, if I'm going to be in here, I'm going to get out eventually and I want a skill. Yes. So when all that changed was once I finally got better and I started, you know, maybe I was a year into college. And I kept, you know, I had a Bible by my TV rack for years, and I could not open it. I just couldn't open it. And uh, it was actually given to me my first six months in prison. And one day, so I ended up going to what you would call a work center. I started working for Mercy Hospital. And I was doing maintenance there, and I was helping housekeeping. And... I was doing better. I was already two years in college and I was like, you know, I'm going to finish my associates and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to make sure I can do everything I can for success when I got out. 
I actually kept my hair slicked back for a long time too because I wanted to look different. But before I got out, I cut my hair to a full hog. I was watching TV, how people dressed and looked, and I, I wanted to fit in. I didn't want people to judge me by what I've been through. I didn't want them to know, honestly. I, I, I want them to see who I am at the time of getting out of prison. Yeah. Like I, I felt so much better. So, oh, to get back to it, I was going to church at uh, the work center I was at. I, I met a couple guys and they convinced me to start going to church. And at my Bible studies at church, my pastor would try to convince me to read a verse. And I grabbed my Bible and I couldn't open it. Couldn't do it. And he's like, Joe, I, it's your turn. Why don't you read a verse? I said, I really want to, Mike. And I said, but I can't open it. And he's like, why? I said, I don't know. It's painful. It, it's, it's giving me chills. And uh, he's like, wow. He's like, it's that bad? I said, yes, I'm trying. I, I really, like, I go to grab my Bible and open it, and it was like pain shoes for me. And this was like the biggest breaking point for everything. Like the, I, I already started trying. You know, I was working, learning occupational skills by welding and college, and, and I wanted to be that good person. I still couldn't open my Bible. So one day, Mike and his wife, Janet Rudder, they came and brought some oil some anointed oil and they rubbed it on my forehead and prayed over me. And the next time they come back to Bible study, or no, actually tears started running down my eyes when they got done. And I felt, I'm kind of feeling it now to tell you the truth. Like, huh. it's like tingles, like, or uh, a rush, like a lightheadedness. And, and, and I, I felt, uh, free or relieved like and i didn't have any more pain like no anger nothing it was amazing it's like the best feeling i felt the whole 10 years before that point or and a half wow it's yeah let go right so allowed you to let go of everything that was going on yeah it's and I, I just became like extremely happy. So when I was going to church, the older ladies, they, I was smiling a lot. They made me happy and stuff like that. They were joking around with me. And, and, and I, I, w- I think that was the, what would you call it, the tipping point? Or even though someone tries for years, you, don't, you just don't become that, that person you were meant to be until one day it, it just is. And ever, sorry. (laughs) Ever since then, I've been, I felt blessed. Like you know, God looked out for me the whole time, even when I didn't want Him to. Like it's. So how now? Now that you're out of prison, let's let's say you're out of prison now. How do you start working? Because it's always like a concern that can you get a job? Were you nervous about getting out and making that transition? Yes. So I actually got a job before I got out. I applied for a, a actual real paid job for El Reno, the city of El Reno. And Oklahoma. Yes. Okay. And they gave me the job and the president, I believe, gave me $200 a check and kept the rest of it. And 
I just saved it. I worked and worked and I just saved the money. I didn't touch any of it. And my boss loved me there, Jim Schweitzer. And I built floating plaques for the town mayor. Uh, I did all the maintenance uh, for the park. I uh, helped the mechanics there. I, I, I went to work on a daily basis and you know, I worked my butt off and I begged them to keep give me like to let me stay working there when I got out of prison. And my boss looked at me, he says, Joe, he's like, you've earned your job. He says, you have it. And yeah, it, it was a great feeling. So awesome. Oh, yeah. That is so awesome. He knew who you were and you were just going to keep doing what you were already doing. You're just going to be on the outside. <laughs> yes. It probably paid more than $14 a day, right? A, m- a, a month. month. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think they were, I don't remember what, uh, exactly, but they were paying me, I think, like around uh, $14 an hour or so. And to me, that was like a good, whatever they were paying me was a good amount of money for fresh out of prison. That's awesome. Yeah. And you were able to find a place to live and start your life over? Yes. My pastor and his family helped me out. They, they welcomed me in with open arms. They, they took care of me. The, their, their daughter and son-in-law drove me to get my driver's license. Uh, I gave my pastor like 2000 I forget. Forget it. I think it was around two thousand dollars down for uh, my Miata that I had, and he trusted me, sold me the Miata, and uh, I ended up. I wanted to be close to my mom. You know, I I knew my mother wasn't doing good, and I wanted to come back out here around with my family and everything. And I came back, and my pastor called me. He says, "Joe, he says you you left out of state and." And I told him, I said, I promise you, Mike, I'm, I'm going to keep the payments up and I'll pay it off. And and he had enough faith in me where he wasn't worried about it. And he did it for me still. And he didn't try to repossess the car or, or void the contract that we signed. And what I did to, to make him feel better, I went and got a personal loan and I just paid him off the car. And That was a sweet car, by the way. I thank like you. Car, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that car. Yeah. You, you don't have any more, right? Is it gone now? I don't remember seeing it. Yeah, it's gone now. Uh, you know, when I got out, I was, uh, when I moved back out here, I got here on a Friday and I started walk, working the following Thursday. I would not go without a job. I knew I had to help my mom and pay her some rent to help her. And I had to pay my bills and car insurance and and so I was living with my mom for a long time and I was working uh, about six days a week and for a temp agency for maybe about a year and a half. And it was $11 an hour. And I was hanging out. I had a few women friends. I was trying to go out to eat with and sushi or whatnot. And uh, but I, I stayed working out and stayed healthy the whole time. And, they would always try to take me out to eat too. So I would just stay at the gym and they would say, Joe, how come you don't want to go out to eat with us? I'm like, I'm going to go to the gym. Then I got to go to work because I work six days a week. The truth is I had no money. I was living off a jack in a box tacos at two for a dollar. I love those. They're so good. <laughs> yeah. But not if you could have sushi. But not every day. <laughs> right. And I was struggling to pay my bills. I, it, but it didn't matter to me. I was free. You know what I thought about for years? 
was what it felt like to walk barefooted on the carpet. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, and I loved it, honestly. I went outside, I walked in the grass. You know, I, uh, I, I, drove, I drove around half of my time that I was off work. And my mom was like, how come you're always gone? What are you doing? I drove around just sightseeing. I had to learn. I had an iPhone 4, and I had to learn how to use it because when I went to prison, they didn't have any smartphones, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. You're just catching up for all that time lost. Yes. But, but somehow you did really well at your, your job. You've been able to move up in your career and doing super well. So you got a job welding. Yes. And then now what is that? What does your life look like now? Oh, well, uh, almost three years ago, me and she was my fiance at the time. So I ended up moving an apartment with her and she helped me out a lot. She had faith in me too, honestly, amazing woman. And, uh, yeah. so we worked together. She paid a lot of the bills and, and trusted that I would keep moving forward. Uh, I, you know, uh, every time we saw someone struggling with their car on the side of the road, I'd have to help them. I think that's my calling is helping people. Right. <laughs> and, 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 and I'm very persistent. I, I realized when I learned how to weld and go to college that I, I can achieve anything that I wanted in life. And I believe anyone can. And so I switched jobs. Uh, I got tired of working that six days a week through a same agency with no PTO and I wake up. Uh, I get off work at 2, 1.30 in the morning. I wake up at 8 o'clock and look for another job. So I found another job. Uh, shortly afterwards and I started welding for them and uh, I started TIG welding a lot more for them and and you know I YouTubed a lot of stuff I didn't know because I wanted more and and I knew that I could learn it uh, I don't I don't know how hard it is for a lot of people to learn new occupations or to learn how to do different things in the same occupation but I, I believe I uh, I am blessed I, I I think God looks out for me totally 100 percent uh you know I YouTube some learned it asked the welding test again <laughs> another job and I keep moving up and uh it made me a lead at one of my jobs a while back and I took care of the company my boss and I were still buddies and I had that wasn't it, it, it wasn't enough. I, I like helping people also. I, even when I was a lead there, I would go uh, teach guys how to fit things or weld because I could, I, I, I believe my, uh, my diagnosing or uh, problem solving is, I think maybe it's one of the things God did for me and it's my niche, you know, and, I ended up coming to the job where I am at now in 2016. And I started off there as a welder and a fabricator. And about a year later, they started changing uh, the roles a little bit. And so I went and looked for another job. And, and the job, the guys, the, the boss trusted me so much, uh, he didn't even give me a weld test. He says, I'm going to hire you as a fitter and I'll pay you, let's say, $23 an hour no questions asked and I was going to start there so I went to the plant manager while I'm at now and I said you know Mark I'd like to talk to you and 
be honest with you, I found another job. And he's like, hey, buddy, I've been meaning for you to come talk to me. Let's go to my office. <laughs> so we went up there, and uh, he says, so you got another job? I said, yeah. I said, it's a great company here. And I said, you, uh, you guys keep me classified as others, welders out there. And, and I said, I believe I'm a lot smarter than the average person. I <laughs> so, and, uh, I said, I'd like to be a lead here. And so, and uh, it says, fine, we'll make you a lead and we'll give you what they offered. I said, I'm okay with that. He said, what do you, what do you want? And I said, it's not really about money. And I told them, I'm not a greedy person. I said, I want to move up. And I said, I want to be a lead. And I want to be able to teach others how to fit and so forth. And we talked and we called my supervisor in there at the time when we came to an agreement and made me a lead. About two years ago, we, you know, we have a new plant manager now. And uh, my boss, the production manager, uh, he walks up to me and, and asked me to have a meeting with him. And he offered me for to be an assistant production manager at the company where I'm at. Wow, that's really impressive. Yeah, I'm about, you're, you're going to make me tear up again. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we, we talked a lot over the time I was there, honestly. And uh, I was always honest to them and I would help people. I volunteered the tech parts even before I became a lead. And, 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 but he offered me a swing ship position. And I'm at a point in my life to where I want to try to have kids. And uh, my fiance, well, we're married now, but obviously my fiance at the time. and. I were debating on it wasn't worth the money to work a second shift the opposite hours is there. So I actually turned it down because uh, my time is more valuable with my family and wow. uh, my free time after losing 11 years out of my life. It, it's highly precious to me. Mm -hmm. yeah. So a couple months later he approached me and we talked and they, they accommodated it actually he said, Joe, uh, we understand how important and precious time is to you, but we really value your, your knowledge and what you can do for the company. And they said, well, we will offer you to work 1230 to nine at night. And so I came back home. I talked to my wife, my fiance, and uh, we, we, we probably, it probably took us almost a week. And we decided that we do want the money. And the time me getting off at nine o'clock at night, but not jeopardize our relationship or what we're trying to build for ourselves. Because obviously, you you know, we were remodeling our house at the time. Yeah, also, gorgeous. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, we we I I I took the position. I'd wake up in the morning. I'd work on my house. I'd go to work. I get off, spend some time with my wife. Wake up on a daily basis. To, and we kept investing the money into our house and and we we looked up our home value and what the potential to sell for it and because we did not want to but to invest too much money into a property that would possibly not present a, a high ROI and in our opinion this is a home but it's also an investment because we want the future also and you have to work for your future yeah. Yeah, that's that's such an awesome story. So you're you're working a different shift now, I guess, right? Yes. So actually, 
about a little over a year ago, my, my boss approached me again. <laughs> and he says, he says, Joe, we really need you to, to supervise our fabrication department. And we'll intern you there until we can train someone or hire someone to supervise the department. But the company really needs you. And I looked at my boss and no problem. I said, that's what I'm here for. Take care of the company. I said, you've always taken care of me. And I mean, obviously we spoke more than this. We exchanged uh, words and, and laughed a little bit and talked. And, and so I started supervising my fabrication department at, at my company, Gunnar Zimmerman. Uh, and so they, it, it was actually a blessing also. Because I had this deal in my head to where, oh, assistant production manager is a higher title or whatever. And, and it, it, you know what? Supervising that department actually kept me humble because the title doesn't matter anything. It, it really doesn't. He gave me day shift. And then a couple months later, he gave me a $2 raise without me asking again. <laughs> Go Joe. So, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So that's where I'm at now, supervising the fabrication department. And, and sometimes I do get frustrated, it, like everybody does. But you know what it's done for me? Uh, but my boss, that job, the effort, persistence, uh, my faith. I am an extremely blessed person. I have a nice house with a pool, remodeled. It's like... I have a great job, a good wife. I got two little puppies. They're awesome. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Aww, so and you would have never thought where you were starting at that you'd be where you're at today. No, I actually, when I first went to prison, the reason why I got in trouble with the menacing and battery and, and so forth was everyone I met almost had LWOP's life without paroles at Granite OSR. And I didn't think I was going to get out. So, and also when I hit OSR in 2003, my dad died that same year, uh, uh, November 9, 2003. And it, it totally depressed me. Yeah. And so I, I went to the shoe, the security housing unit for that menacing and the, they came back there and they were trying to put me on pills and, and saying I was depressed and so forth, but I, I, I didn't, I, I, I faked like I took the pills when they tried to force me to take them and because I didn't want to do any more drugs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and you, oh, I have to tell you this. When I was in college, I took sociology of the family. And one of my buddies was taking a psychology class. So I started studying my sociology of the family book and I, and I asked him if I could read his sociology book when he wasn't studying so I could learn human uh, social interaction interaction for when I got out. <laughs> and I wanted to prep myself to be able to uh, blend in with what you would say the public. And, <laughs> and yeah, and, and honestly, it, it helped a lot. I, I wanted to be me. I didn't want any of that stuff. And. I love who I am, like, today. Like, I was totally a, a, a jerk. I, was a, I wasn't someone who deserved anything years ago. I, I didn't deserve a better life or good jobs or 
I didn't deserve, deserve faith from people or trust because I would have abused it. You sure do now. But today I live by a model of mine, which I try not to do or say anything I will regret. That's a good motto. What yeah. do you think's made one or two things that's made the difference for you? I think one of the first things was when I finally opened up that Bible. That was the, it felt like freedom. Even I, even though I wasn't out yet, I was, uh, I just, I, I don't know how to explain it. It was like euphoria, complete happiness. And I think the biggest deal was that I wasn't willing to accept failure and I knew I had to do everything right. There was no other option. And then when I got out and I had all my family at my mom's house when I came back and <laughs> it was, uh, I had you guys there. Yeah. Yeah. That was awesome. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, uh, I, I didn't want to be that, that uh, disappointment or I, I wanted to be someone people could look up to also. Like I had to, I, I had to show that there is, uh, people can change, they, they can do great. Yeah, I recall, I remember that, uh, Joe, when you showed up or we hooked up with you, <laughs> that you could just see just your attitude. You didn't look like a hood. You know, you didn't look <laughs> like you were going to cause trouble. I mean, do you look like you were solely motivated that I really truly believed at the very get-go that you were going to do great. And, you know, so you, you showed that from the very get-go. You could see that. If you look at someone's eyes, you could know whether they're on the right path or not. And you were totally on the right path even from the get-go. And Thank I you. think anybody listening to this can hear the happiness in your voice and how you're truly happy at where you are and what life has given you. You, you know, I think a lot of people could go, man, I lost 11 or 12 years of my life. It was and stolen look back, me. But you just looked forward. You just looked Thank forward. Thank you. Uh, I needed to, to, to change and I couldn't have done it on my own, honestly. Uh, and I'm not mad at all for for doing those 11 years. I mean, I'm sad. But sometimes I used to wake up. Uh, I guess you call them nightmares, uh, not knowing where I was at, and so forth. And but I still wasn't mad. Uh, I don't. I don't. I don't know how to express the. The gratitude I have for being given what I have today. You know, my boss, I told him thank you when he gave me that position. And you know what he told me? He says, Joe, he says, why are you thanking me? He said, you did it. He said, you earned it. Ready for the thunderstorm so we can make it rain? So we have talked about real estate together before. So I don't know. Do you have a real estate book that you've read or business book that you. Or even just a book in general that's. Yeah, something that's, that, that's meaningful for you that help, helps you to move forward. 
Yeah, I started reading a book a while back uh, called Building Wealth, One One House at a Time by Don Schwab. Oh. And uh, I, I totally started thinking about real estate, actually, before we bought our house, too. And there's another book. I don't remember the title of it. Uh, so when my wife and I were looking for a house, we found a bunch of houses in our price range. And they were they looked really nice. And they were like 1,100 square feet, 1,000 square feet, remodeled. And I didn't want to settle for it. I told my wife, we, we want to put on our own blood, sweat, and tears, and we want to earn our money. Uh, I said, we don't want to pay for what someone else has done to a house. There you go. I said, we need square footage. We need a neighborhood that we can actually invest in and get our money back. The ROI, right? Return on investment. And I told her, I said, we we argued over this and she's like you've never done construction i said babe i can do anything i was like just trust me and she, you know she looked at me she says i do trust you babe i said well let's look and we were getting scared that we wouldn't find the house because at least our apartment was almost up and we uh we looked up a couple houses in, in our agent we sent them a couple we wanted and one was on the other side of town which was in a zip code where I felt was capped at a, a certain price range. Is that how you, like, I, I wouldn't say that we would have never sold our house at, uh, at what we wanted, no matter how much we put into it there. So we came to this house and there's a big old tree in front. And I saw all the tree roots in the front yard. We walked in, it was just trashed. There's actually a syringe in the backyard. Like, oh. yeah, uh, it was for sale for so long. And I believe people didn't want to buy it because they knew the foundation or something was uh, messed up on it. Then my wife looked, walked in here and was like, oh, it's horrible. You know, like it was crappy. The smell <laughs> of money. Yes. <laughs> so I told her, I was like, babe, look how big it is compared to all of other houses. We looked at the neighbors, uh, retired neighbors, uh, pretty nice homes. And, and I was like, babe, we got to go for this one. We got to go for it. And she, we talked and, you know, we uh, had a couple disagreements over things. She's like, yeah, babe, that house could be nice, right? Said, yes. And, and I told her, I said, I'll do the flooring, I'll do everything. I was like, we can do it together. Yeah. I was like, I want to do it with you. She says, yes, babe, I want to do it with you. She said, I want to do the work too. And, uh, and, and I said, okay, if you're willing to help me and we can do this together, I said, I want this house. So they were actually asking $248,000 for it. And we offered them thirty five, And they declined it. They said no. They came back. I think like two hundred and forty or something. And we we told them they uh, had a bunch of agents' cards in here, and they had a lock on the door. And when we my agent tried getting in, the lock was from an uh, agent in the Bay Area, so no local agents could get in here anyways. And my agent told us that he was like he was like dude, he's like the other agents couldn't get in here. He says I can't get in here. So he called up the owner and the agent from the Bay Area drove up here just to change it and let us in. So we had to come over here a couple of times. I'm standing over the fence taking pictures of the backyard and looking around <laughs> and trying to picture what we can get out of it, right? So 
we, we fought and uh they tried uh getting us to waive our contingencies so they can just not finish doing those small repairs they need to do before we bought the house when we came to agreement and we we walked in oh so we got our keys on friday june 16th it happened to be my wife's birthday june 16th there you go and we had to give our keys up on our apartment that uh, by Sunday, June 18th, in 2017. And so we were so stressed out. We were just moving and moving everything, piling it in the garage. And Saturday, or Sunday, Saturday, uh, while we were moving things out of our apartment at the same time, uh, my wife's brother was helping me, my best friend, Kaysen, a couple people came through. I mean, you know, when you think that you don't have enough help, and and you got enough faith that the right people will be there. And it just, we made it work. <laughs> now I was scared to death. I gotta tell you, like, I was like, I'm gonna be homeless. You know, the whole time we're waiting to close and my wife's like, babe, you can stay. We'll ask my brother, if we stay with him or something. I was like, I'll just sleep in my car. I was like, don't worry, I'll take a shower at the gym, sleep in the car. I was like, we gotta get it. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. That is such a great story. And so we started tearing the carpet up right away and, and had carpet put in our bedroom right away and then moved everything that we could live off of in our bedroom while we started demoing the house. <laughs> it's pretty close to being done now, right? Yes. Uh, the only thing I don't have trust in myself to try without wasting money is granite countertops. Uh, but our house is uh, completely remodeled, brand new vinyl, waterproof vinyl flooring, we have brand new jet pump on our pool, pool pump, uh, heater. Uh, I've been sawing the front yard, planting uh, flowers. The, the yard looks really nice. The brand new paint, stove, uh, stainless hood range. Like, you know, the other day I woke up, it was last weekend. I went outside to turn my pool pump on so I could turn the heater to go swimming. And I was like, wow. It's like, I got a nice home. <laughs> it even impressed me and I'm, I'm not too impressed over things sometimes when I'm doing it myself because I pick at it and I'm like oh I want something else done but I got to the point to where like we got our Ashley's furniture coffee uh, um, uh, a dining table and couch and stuff like that our Samsung fridge and and I don't need anything like you know some people would never be satisfied right they want one want more but like, I was, I was like, I'm blessed. I have more than I ever thought I'd have. It's early. Like, I'm still young. We got it done fast. Uh, we have a lot of equity. I have a, I have a nice car. Uh, we just paid off our jet ski uh, last week. Uh, Way to go. We, we, we have what I would call the American dream, honestly. <laughs> That's so and, awesome. Thank so you. What do you like to do for fun? Oh, I like going ride the jet ski. Uh, we go to hikes. Uh, uh, we've been up uh, Napa wine tasting, or we see if it. You know, uh, we go walking through uh, Paris and San Francisco. We have this place called Wipeout. We like to eat on on the pier, uh, walking on the beach right outside the end of the piers, and. Uh, we go shopping, Old Town, Sacramento, Columbia. Uh, awesome. Just, you know, the simple pleasures, honestly. Like, yeah. 
-hmm. Yeah, definitely. That's awesome. So what are like two things that made success for your life? You've covered a lot of them already, but what are like two things that are stand out to you as a, that has made you as successful as you have been? I think one of the important factors for anyone is to analyze. You, you don't just go get in anything or buy a house or look for a job. You analyze. You think your possibilities and what you want to do, but it has to be realistic. You have to think about what you're capable of. And I did that. I spent years trying to decide what I can actually do before I attempted it. And you have to go for it. So another model I use is Nike. Just do it. Yeah. Uh, I, I read a book. I, I, it, was, it was a book I was reading when I was in prison. And it says something about how the most, the majority of uh, self-made millionaires are instant decision makers, if I, if I remember correctly. And I don't like second guessing myself and talking myself how to do things I want to do. Once in a while, if I make an educated guess, I'll, I'll take a, a minimal loss on something. But I, I go at something uh, all in. I don't, I don't just step one foot in that threshold. I, you have to give it all you can. You can't just buy a house and start remodeling it and then quit because you're lazy or you don't want to work. No. You're going to have to stay up to the middle of the night sometimes. You're going to have to go to work. You're going to have to get off work, and you're going to have to work in your house. You're going to have to put effort yeah. because uh, I believe uh, anything that comes easy in life is probably not worth it. You have, you, have to, you have to fight for what you want, and you have to do what's right. And, to, and the other, and the other th big thing is, honestly, uh, out of my family, like – I, I'm not just saying this. I am happy not because of what I have, but because of who I became. Uh. That's that so powerful. Awesome. That is that so is powerful. So, yeah. 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 That is, that sums up <laughs> yeah. everything. Yeah. Your things don't make you happy, but you know the man you are. Who you are. Yeah. Remember, I was happy when I was able to walk on grass and carpet, you know? <laughs> yeah. And oh, I love that. I, I love who I am. I, I, I do. I, I judge people. and I'm not supposed to. And I, Like you said earlier, you could look in someone's eyes and you could tell if they're a good person or not. Like, you could, you could just tell. And, okay, when I used to look in a mirror at myself, I didn't like what I saw. Now, my wife will laugh at me because I'll look in the mirror sometimes. She'll be like, hey, quit looking at yourself. <laughs> but it's not just the looks I'm looking at sometimes. I like my persona, the aura I, I feel. or I, I'm honestly, like, happy, and, and, and I love it. I, you know what? That <laughs> brings up a point is, is it's not, if you look at someone's eyes, you know who they are, but you don't know who they could become, right? No. So, so I help. Yeah. Sorry. It could change. Yeah. Like it changed for you. It could change. So who they are right now is not who they're going to be five years from now, 10 years, not necessarily, right? No, not at all. Yep. I feel like. Can I tell you one more thing? Yeah. It, we was driving to, uh, I want to say, uh, we was going north of Modesto somewhere. 
And this guy's, uh, it was like an older four-door truck or Jeep. And, you know, it looked beat up pretty bad. And, and I didn't care. And uh, I think I, we was in my, I had a 2015 Chevy Malibu. And it was, I keep it really impeccable. And I, and I told my wife, I was like, pull over, pull over, babe. She's like, why? I said, this guy's Jeep is well, like the overheating or something or his truck. And I was like, let's help him. We got to help him. So we pull over and I asked the guy what's going on. And he says, is, is it smoking? I look at it. I was like, yeah, buddy. I was like, well, you don't have any water to oil. I said, don't start it again. Just leave it be. It's like, where are you going? He's like, I'm going my way to work. So we, we go, uh, we, we, we pick him up. I don't care if he looks clean or not. It doesn't matter to me. I have to help the guy. And my wife, too, she's like, well, well anyways, we drop him off. We're driving away. My wife was like, wow, they did a good job. I was like, yeah. I was like, the guy's going to work. You got to help him, right? And so we, we feel pretty good about it. We're like, yeah, we did a good thing, you know. And, uh, a few weeks later, so we like eating that buffalo wild wings where we got off at. And I go to pay for my meal, and it's a lot cheaper. And I tell the waitress, I was like, no, I owe you more than that. And she was like, no. Uh, I was like, no, I this and that. She was like, oh. She says, this guy back here told me not to charge you for it. And the guy walks by and looks at me and kind of smiles. And I was like, wow, babe. I was like, we didn't want anything. Look what he did for us. Like, no matter what it is, if, if you do good without expecting anything back from it, you want to help people, you want to do good, the Lord's going to take care of you. You're going to get paid back. And it's not going to be the new one, because sometimes what we want just don't have is what we want it, right? He's going to take care of you when you need it. I, 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 I get, I don't know what it is. Like, you know, I play stretchers, and, and I'll be poor sometime, and all of a sudden, like, my wife, and, and even I'll, I'll spend money I, I, I didn't expect to make. Or, or spend in my wife or something. She'll be like, oh, babe, my job gave me a bonus or something. Or like, we get taken care of no matter what. I, I love it. That's awesome. <laughs> well, we want to thank you so much, Joe. I just kind of have this feeling like there's somebody out there who's hearing your story and it's going to make all the difference in your life. Yeah. In their life. So you can never give up. Like, no matter what it is, or anger, sad, stressed, not enough sleep, whatever it is, you cannot give up. That's, 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 if I could tell someone anything, you, you can't give up. That's awesome. You can't go do wrong. It, there's no, it, you can't make up for it. You can't take it back. You can't give up. That's well, awesome. thanks so much. I really appreciate it, Joe. And have a wonderful evening. <laughs> Thank you. I hope you guys have a wonderful evening. <laughs> you made me feel all great again already. I'm like. <laughs> all right. Awesome. Thanks for being our guest. Without rain, nothing grows. Weather the storm. You can't sail if you never leave the harbor. Challenges are just big waves to help you get to your destination. Remind yourself the rainbow will come. And most importantly, don't forget, life isn't about waiting for storms to pass. It's about learning to dance in the rain. If you're ready to learn more about creating legacy wealth through multifamily investing, go now to reigningfreedommoney.com. Ready for the thunderstorm so we can make it rain.